So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you are listening to the six figure photography podcast with ben hartley and rachel griman each week, a new episode will air to help you grow your business by winning more bookings, maximizing profits, and breaking through limiting beliefs. Today, we are talking about acting as if. And what we mean by that is acting as if you are already living the life that you're aspiring to, acting as if you already have the things that you're wishing for. And this sounds a little crazy because it's kind of hard to picture what that result is, but if we're gonna try to break it down into more tangible ways for you to start acting as if you're already living that magical future. Yeah. And I think, I think just getting right into, uh, getting into very practical ways of how this plays out will help to kind of make it concrete. Because as soon as we start talking about like this, it feels a little too manifesty, crystally. Yeah. And, and I don't disagree. Which I'm all about, by the way. Okay. Okay. You are. Okay. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. I think I don't know. I love a good manifestation. I don't know if I'm all about it, but I'm like, I'm a little about it. You know, I'm a little about it. Yeah. Uh, But I think when we start to give you some concrete examples where this actually shows up in your business and how it does, it's it's going to be really practical, really grounded. Totally. And so the first area that I see um, photographers uh, needing the 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 value of acting as if um, it is time and time. It's not just the first place. It's the most common place. You know, uh, I do coaching for photographers who are enrolled in Book Solid every uh, Tuesday at three. I see it showing up there. I see it in the questions. I see it in the one-on-one coaching. I see it in the in the Facebook group. Um, is is showing up in like uh, the the sales room? We'll say the sales room because that could be on a phone call. <laughs> it could be in a Zoom. It could be in a consultation. Uh, it could be in their copywriting on their pricing page and Mm -hmm. it's acting as if you don't need desperately need this next client, this, this next booking, this money. Um, because when you need the money, it shows up and it is not attractive it right. repels it repels the client it repels the money it repels the booking the the neediness 
to actually obtain the client and to get that paycheck. Totally. And a pity booking isn't what anybody wants. No, that's not starting the, the relationship off with trust. And I don't even think you need to be obviously desperate. If there's even a whiff of desperation, I think you're at risk of repelling people because the whole point of stating what you charge, whether on a call or on your website or somewhere or in a pricing guide is saying it with authority and in a way that builds trust in that value Mm -hmm. that you're saying that you provide. So if you're saying it, like I've seen people break down their pricing and I hate this on photography sites in a way that's like, I use this money to feed my family. Like I deserve to charge this much because this isn't just a hobby for me. And it's just, it gives me the ick a little bit. Hmm. One of the, have you seen that, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. Or, or you know, maybe it's because I'm in this space, but I see a lot of justification for pricing and why why yeah. we charge what we charge, and and um, it's uh, I, yeah, yeah. I totally, I totally see that. Um, it reminds me of who's who's the uh, there, there's a guy who wrote a book about negotiations. And I don't know. I, I could do a quick Google here, but you know, he says something along the lines of whoever needs it the least will win the negotiation. We'll, we'll win. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like whoever wants yeah. at least you really yeah. have to be because the it's one like playing hard to get. Mm. Yeah. It's a little bit like playing hard to get. Like my favorite thing to say on a sales call is, Hey, here are my top three competitors. You should give them a call. Mm. Like go talk to them, see how that feels in your soul, because I want this to be an easy yes for you. I want this to be the most exciting thing you do all week. And if it doesn't feel like that, you should not be investing thousands of dollars with me. Mm. And that's a little brazen. That's a little more aggressive. I think that you need to be, but people love when I say that because it shows them how confident I am. Like go talk to the people that are my competition. If you vibe better with them, go for it. Yeah, I can book someone else like, and I mean it in my soul. I have literally sent them their websites so they can go compare and contrast how the experiences are between the two companies. Mm. And I love that I get to be in a place in my business where I do that. But I also started saying it before I was in that place. When I still really wanted the clients, I started acting that way because I wanted to appear as confident as I felt. Yeah. One of the, uh, well, maybe not more than one, or maybe not just one, more than one of the things that can practically make a difference uh, when actually considering if you were to act as if you didn't need the money, like, okay, cool. So if you didn't need the money, like how might, how might you act? How, how might that show up in the consultation? Mm-hmm. Um, when you got to price, how might your pacing change? How might your tone mm-hmm. change? How might the questions that you ask change? One of the, the tricks that, that I've always done is when I get to pricing, I will, I will like, I will change my physiological state. And one of the, the best ways for me to do that, cause I would notice when I start to, you know, mini panic in my mind, heart's racing, breath starts to, you know, you're taking a lot of like quick, short breaths. And, and so one of the ways I would, I would do is I would, I would try to just like calm myself down and I would do that by mm-hmm. actually sitting back. I'm, I'm physically doing it right now on the podcast, but I would, I would sit back in my chair and I would slow down. I would make an intentional Mm -hmm. decision. I'm going to relax into my chair and I'm going to slow down as I talk. This is the, you know, and, and it would just, it would shift. It would shift me 
is it wouldn't shift them. It would shift me. It would just change how I showed up when I got to talking about price. Um, right. I just found that that made actually a, a pretty big difference in, in my, in my consultations. Yeah. I would even do the same thing on the phone call. Like they're not seeing me, but it just changed my, my tone, my presence, my pacing, everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Acting as if you don't need the money isn't conceited. It's not like, well, whatever you want to do. It's more, it's more an internal thing for yourself. Like Ben is saying, it shifts you and your perspective on this. And it's going to take out any desperation that you do feel. It's going to allow you to sound like a normal person instead of a nervous one. Mm, yeah. Second one. Let's talk about another one. Yeah. Um, do you want to um, leave this uh, one? Yeah. And I really like this one because we all do have a first rodeo at some point (laughs) with certain scenarios. But the second one is act like this isn't your first rodeo. Um, And when you're in a new situation, when you are with a new clientele, especially if they're more of like an upper echelon clientele, you you're in a luxury market now that you weren't in before. You don't want to act as if you've never done this before. You don't want to show all your cards to your client saying, you know, oh my gosh, I've never, I've never done, um, an IPS in person sales session before an ordering session. Like you don't want to tell someone this is your first time doing something because again, all that does is break down their trust that they have in you. You want to come across as the expert because even if it is your first time, you're still a lot more of an expert in this than they are. So you need to show up as the expert you are in that space, even if it is the first time you're doing something. Yeah. With, with that one, it's interesting because I actually, we'll, we'll kind of play devil's advocate here a little bit. There can yeah. be times that I think it, it can actually play to your benefit to just like call, call it as it is <laughs> like, yes, uh, to, to, totally. to like, yeah. Hey, this, actually, this is my first time uh, actually doing this. And I yeah. uh, just, just thought it'd be good for me to get that off my chest. I think there can yeah. be times that, that, that move, we'll call it a move because it is. It's like everything yeah. that we're doing yeah. is it's all a play. It's all a move, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, can can be beneficial to kind of like choose. Uh, we'll say like hyper authenticity. However, totally. and I've done that. I've done that with clients that I've had before. Like if it's the second time I'm doing something with someone and I'm trying a new pricing structure or. It, let's say I was doing in-person sales for the first time and it's a family I've worked with before. That is absolutely someone that I would be like, Hey, you're my Guinea pig. Like, let me know how I'm doing. And then ask for feedback. That is hyper authentic. And I do think you're right, Ben. Yeah. I, I, then there's, there's other times though, that like, uh, for example, I got this wedding, um, and this client, uh, he multimillionaire. Damn. I mean, could, could even be a billionaire. Don't know. Um, this massive mansion, uh, down in, uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, I walked into the home and there were, there were literally, <laughs> there was literally a Monet just hanging paintings everywhere, but like he actually has a Monet just hanging up in, in this home. Uh, the floral budget, get this, the floral budget for the wedding was over a million. That's, that's. The, he, he changed the How do you entire, even spend a million dollars on flowers? He spent an entire year changing. It was an outside. He decided to do an outside garden wedding. And he, he changed his entire property 
to become the garden wedding, to become the garden. He didn't have a garden. He wanted a garden wedding. So he actually spent an entire year building out this whole garden. Uh, it was, an, it was, it was wild. Like had trees flown in from, uh, out of the, I mean, it was just, it was insane. Anyhow, I digress. Um, well, it wasn't just me who had to continually go to the house to meet with him. But, uh, the rest of my team, cause it was photo and video photo booth. And he kept, he was very, he wanted to meet everyone, talk to everyone. And I just remember, um, I walked in with one person and, and they walked into the space and just like, they couldn't believe it, but they also couldn't hide that they couldn't believe it. And it was, it was just kind of like, it was it's so sick. Bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like we were being brought on because of our our brand position, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the position of our brand was one that like, hey, this is what we do. We photograph high-end luxury weddings. However, sometimes your personal uh, brand, like your personal, yeah, we'll say your personal brand, just like your, your, your personal identity isn't in alignment with the uh, brand of your business. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so while he had hired the business to come out and do this thing, then we were showing up and people were just like, they just wouldn't stop talking about, it. I can't believe this. Oh my goodness. This is where you live. What do you do? Like, yeah. And so like, act as if this isn't your first rodeo. Okay. Just like go in mm-hmm. and just like act as if you've been into like the last client you had was just like this. And, right. um, and that's true for when you show up at sessions, uh, if you get certain clients, like, um, there is a, once again, a repelling that can take place when you begin to like, um, I, I guess I almost want to use the word of like, uh, obsess, uh, almost objectify or like, uh, you, you, does that make sense? Like, like You're the session like overt. Yes. Or the client, whatever. And it makes you feel like, oh, this isn't, this isn't what I want to be around. Right. And especially it's like when you cross that barrier from hired professional to like friendly banter, like there's a line there that of things you would say to me about seeing a Monet on the wall versus saying it to the person who owns the Monet. Like it's different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can still talk about it and discuss it. Um, But the, 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 again, the way that you described it of just like, um, laying all your cards out on the table yeah. in a way, uh, yeah, just, just some finesse. It's just like, act as if this isn't your first rodeo. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I used to do with this as well is, you know, before I was photographing weddings like this, um, I used to ask myself the question, this will go into the this next one here as well. Um, I used to ask myself the question like, okay, so I'm not photographing $10,000 weddings. Great. Got it. Uh, so if I was though, like how, how would I, was it start with like, how would I be dressed at the weddings? Mm-hmm. What would my, mm-hmm. what would I look like? You know what I mean? What would my equipment be? Right. And, um, and same thing for like client meetings. Like if I, uh, same exact thing. And I started to act as if this, this $2,000 client was a $10,000 client. And, and it shifted, mm-hmm. you know, it shifted. So the next one, then this really kind of takes us right into here to act as if you are already wildly successful. And this is more of a, an exercise that I, I almost like, like a thought experiment podcast mm-hmm. listeners. Like if, if you're listening right to this right now, I really want you 
to uh, kind of journal on this a little bit, because if you were to, you might be able to identify some things where you are getting in your own way. So if you were to act as if you were, were already wildly successful, like, w- well, would you be acting differently? And by the way, mm-hmm. when I say wildly successful, I want to keep it open-ended because maybe for some of you, that's $10,000 portrait sessions. Maybe that's, mm-hmm. well, actually, maybe it's making 100K a year, um, but you're only photographing so many sessions you know, a year, something like there's, maybe there's different definitions for wildly successful. Maybe it's hundred K a year without doing IPS a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, yeah, let's like, like, uh, would you be acting differently? Maybe just start with that question. See if there's anything like big, obvious things that jump out at you. Right. Um, right. And then there's some follow-ups to it that are similar, but it begins to like maybe open up some other ways that you might be able to identify just how you might be acting differently. So mm-hmm. like if you were to watch a videotape of your life, what, what would be different? The, the version of your life where you are wildly successful, if you were to go back and watch the videotape of how you got there, what, what might be different? I like, I, I right. read this. And I liked, go ahead, please. I was just saying, I liked your example, Ben, that you used before we hit record about both of us kind of have this thing in our heads of like, oh, 40 is going to be the best decade, you know, our forties. And when we hit 40, it's going to be kind of where we peak. And I've had this in my head too, because a lot of people talk about how much they like their forties, but we both agreed that, you know, you don't wake up on your 40th birthday and you've peaked. Like you start making changes. Now we're both 36. Like you start making changes now to hit your peak at 40. So if we're going to roll the tape of what me and you, what our daily lives look like the year that we're 40, there's going to be some differences to how we're living now. So kind of thinking about what those versions of us are doing in their daily life and thinking about how we can start implementing them now. So we actually get there. Yes, exactly. I mean, really in a lot of ways, this is like creating a vision for a future worth having and then asking mm-hmm. yourself, okay, interesting. So if I were to play out me getting there, like what, what, what am I doing differently? Like if I were to act as if I was already successful, what would that look like? And, yeah. and so to, to think about, um, to think about behaviors, work ethic. I mean, these are low hanging fruit, sleep patterns, time use. But I think at the core mm-hmm. of a lot of this, Rachel is, is like I identity level, like rather than your actions, you're doing more of like your, like if you were to be someone who had a wildly successful business, that would probably mean that you, you, uh, um, were, uh, going to bed at an appropriate time or something like something along those lines, right? Like you, you were putting in the right hours of work or whatever, but like, who would that person need to be? And to think about like identity level things, like, um, you'd probably be someone who was consistent, You'd probably be mm-hmm. someone who was disciplined. You'd probably mm-hmm. be someone who others could count on. You'd probably be someone who had integrity. And if you start right. to think about that, you can begin to cross check about the, the small splinters of where those things are, are falling to the wayside in your current yeah. way of being and to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. To your point about the 40 thing, I've, I've had it yeah. in my mind. You're right. Was, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit my prime at 40. That's been my, that's, yeah. that's Me my too. life, right? Me too. So if, if I was to my prime at 40, great. How would I be acting differently than I am right. now? What Let's would do I do a vulnerability doing? moment. Yeah. What is something that you would do differently, Ben? 
Oh, like, right like now? What's something you look at your life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Rachel. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> I can go first if you want to think about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I think for me, something that has been really hard is managing the food in our household. Mm. Like the amount we spend on food, how much we go out to eat, having healthy options in the house, coming up with a system for not overspending or throwing food away and eating healthier. Like it's all, it's several different habits wrapped up into one concept of food, like feeding the people in our house, including myself. And I think for me, you know, we've had a really stressful last year and I mean, anybody with small kids has had a stressful last year or three. Um, but I think I've just been waiting for them to be in school or waiting for them, waiting for the perfect scenario for me to have more time and space to think about this. And like, no one is coming to save me in this way. Like I'm the adult in the room. I am the one that is in charge of this for our family. So if I don't make a system, it's never going to change. It's always going to be the same. They're going to keep eating chicken nuggets and honey nut Cheerios, which is not the mom that I started out as. (laughs) And so when I look at that, it's not just my kids, but me as well. And not going on a diet, but just having a better grasp on that whole system in our house. When I look at 40 year old Rachel, she has figured out a system for feeding our family of four and in a way that's cost effective. I love that. So for me, I've been defining as I'm going to hit my prime when I'm 40, I'm 36 right now, about to be 37 though, here in just like a month or so. And so let's go, let's go. Uh, But I think it's important to to define what my prime means, just like it'd be important for you to define what being like having a wildly successful photography business means. Because I think a lot of times when I, when you hear the idea of like, oh, I'm going to hit my prime, a lot of people would think about that as a, as a physical health thing, right? right? Like they're, and, and sure that is a component of it. But I also believe that the, the version of my prime would also be one who has, um, uh, a deeply connected and intimate marriage. Um, and yeah. so I think that would be one that as I look at current 37 year old Ben, uh, like looking at, okay, good. So if I was to be in my prime, what might be different today? I think that would be, that would be one of the domains, one of the areas of just like having greater connection and intimacy with my wife and building that, working to that, like uh, one of my old coaches used to say, Ben, you will not wake up one day and become someone that you've not already been becoming. And I mm-hmm. won't just wake up at 40 and then have a, a, a connected, deeply intimate relationship right. with my wife. I can't just wait until 40, right. you know, right. and photographers, you can't just wait. Well, like one day you're not just going to wake up and be successful. You have to define what that is and begin to act right. as if you are already becoming that person. Look at your behaviors, look at right. your identity. And so, yeah, that'd be the one for me, Rachel, would be like, yeah. but uh, you'll notice that I would say you'll notice both Ben and I said something that has nothing to do with our businesses. And we both know that these things heavily impact the success of our businesses, because when you look at the health of your business as a solopreneur, it's often the health of the individual that pours into that. So I think it's really important. And I think Ben and I have said this at least a million times in the last year, but like defining success for yourself needs to look at what success means from like 24 hours a day, not just 
the time you're spending on your business or the kinds of sessions you're getting or the kinds of people you're working with or the money that you're making. It has to do with the life that you've set up for yourself and the life that your business affords you to lead. So I think it's really important to figure out your version of that life and not look at anyone else's. And depending on where you live, that might simply mean a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like it doesn't have to be these huge audacious goals that you see photographers like numbers that they're throwing out there. It might, you might want to live in a certain way where you don't have to be making a crap ton of money. Like, I don't know. I could talk about this for years and years and years. I just think it's probably the biggest trap I see people fall into. Like act as if you're living this version of success that you actually want. Hmm. Yeah. And the last thought that I, I may challenge the listeners on. Yeah. We like to talk. We love to talk about what we wish things could be. Mm-hmm. And we like, we like to say, I say, I want this thing. You say you want this thing. We love right. to say we want all kinds of things. And, uh, the challenge that I would, that would, I would incur would be like, um, People say they want stuff and then they continually choose uh, behaviors and actions that give them something very different. And, mm-hmm. I, and I would just, I'm, I won't, I'm not going to give answers here today. I would just poise the, the listeners with the question, I wonder what you get out of that. Right. We say we want a wildly successful photography business. We, we start to define what actions that might take what behavior modification that might be, what type of character qualities, discipline that that might require. And we love to complain that we don't have those things. I would just propose the question. I'm curious what you might get out of that. Right. That's all. How do your current habits serve you? Yeah. Even the ones you complain about. Right. Yep. Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate y'all. Did we end we a do. little heavy? Did we end heavy there? Deal with it, guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> I told somebody. Actually, I think she's in the. <laughs> I, when I when I tell, I think I told uh, uh, Lynn. I told I told Lynn to. to I, I I can't remember what I you told. You said her. go choke on that. You something said like that. It was it was the PG version. It wasn't it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, get me in trouble now. I just now. took this this rating way higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, there's there's definitely some Harvard uh, rated versions of of that same statement. You know. Yes. Yes. Goodness. Goodness. <laughs> anyway, deal with it. Sit in it. Journal about it. Yep. Love it. Yep. Absolutely. Hey, podcast. No mercy, Rachel. Today. <laughs> no mercy, Rachel. Podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. I appreciate y'all so much. And uh, can't wait to see you next week. Until then, keep showing up. And be kind to yourself, please. Bye.